0: I hope you're having a wonderful Friday and that you're looking forward to a great weekend, especially when you gather together with your brothers and sisters in Christ for worship and fellowship and praise and prayer and study and service, which is part of the Christian church experience. If you don't have a home church, you need to find some place, make it home, and get plugged in there. If you are currently looking around and you're within driving distance of the Elkhart East building, please come check us out. Maybe we can be the place where you settle down and call home. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter number four, verse number 17 is where we want to start today. Paul has been trying to focus our minds on the need for unity. And that unity is anchored in Jesus Christ. It is anchored in the work of the Holy Spirit within the church. It is anchored within the eternal intentions of God the Father. And so we cannot allow ourselves to be divided up and treat each other disrespectfully. And so Paul is going to get into some specifics now of how Christians need to be different than the people of the world. Ephesians chapter 4 verse number 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. So the walking, again, here is symbolic of lifestyle. We go step by step, moment by moment, through each and every day. And so as we walk, Paul says, don't be like the unbelievers out there. Now, he's already talked about the fact that there are believing Gentiles, there are believing Jews, and they're all part of one body. But now he uses the example of the the out-of-control Gentiles, the idolaters uh, that are out there, as this is how you definitely do not want to act. Because they do these things because they've been duped by the darkness. Verse 18, being darkened in their understanding excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Uh, So these Gentile unbelievers are calloused against righteousness and holiness. Remember, at the very beginning of time, God made humanity in his image and his likeness. He wanted us to be like himself. He is the standard of morality. And once sin entered the world because of Satan's machinations, uh, we end up with people acting against that intention of God, going against his design. Remember back in the book of Romans, chapter number one, the The wrath of God was coming because people had, even though they knew there was a God, or they'd been faced with the evidence for a righteous God, they did whatever they wanted. And because of that, God just let them descend into the depths of their depravity uh, and face the consequences from that. And so that's kind of what he's describing here again. Uh, Verse 19, they... Having become callous, and you know how you make calluses you keep rubbing a skin area over and over and over again through use, and pretty soon uh, it becomes hard and there's no feeling there anymore. Uh, Or you think about a scar uh, where you might have been burned uh, or cut so bad that when everything did get back to... um, Somewhat of a healing status, there was thick scar tissue that had no nerve endings inside of it. That's what he's got in mind here. That these guys have got spiritual calluses, they've got spiritual scars. And because of that, they've given themselves over to sensuality that is, just doing whatever your body wants for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So it's very self-centered. It's, I want what I want. And I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what God might think. Uh, I don't care what God's word says. I want to do this, so I'm going to do it. That is the mindset that Paul is trying to describe here. Verse 20, but you you believers, whether you are Jewish believers in Jesus or Gentile believers in Jesus, you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. So if you guys make a claim that you are a Christian, and this is very true, so let's make it apply to each of us. If we claim to be Christians, if we name the name, then we can't be like the people of this world doing whatever they feel like. Verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You remember the concept of repentance is to change the way you think, to bring your thinking into alignment with God's way of thinking. And when you do that, true repentance will bring about a true change of action, a change of lifestyle. And so that is where Paul is going with this. He says, if you really do name the name of Jesus, then that means... You've laid aside the old self and put on a new self. You've been born again. You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. And the life that you're now going to live in this body, you're going to live for the one who loved you and gave himself up for you. If you didn't recognize it, that was a a slightly modified uh, memorization of, of uh, Galatians 2.20. Everybody, every Christian ought to have that memorized because it should be a motivator for us in our daily life. And Paul wrote that and now he's going back over the same idea here in the book of Ephesians. Verse number 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So he already said up earlier, speak the truth in love. Now he says, knock it off with the telling lies. Knock it off with the not being honest with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Tell truth to them. Speak truth to them. Be loving about it. Don't just be blatant and mean, speak the truth in love, because we belong to the same body, the body of Christ. Do you know what happens when your body starts sending false signals to the brain or to other places in the body? Uh, It means you're, you're horribly sick, you've got some sort of bad disease or some sort of syndrome that's going to do your body in. So we as believers have got to be honest with one another, open with one another, but in love, because we're all in this together. Verse 26, Be angry and yet do not sin. Now this advice actually comes from Psalm 4:4: uh, Be angry and do not sin. Uh but the idea here is yes there are going to be times when you do get kind of mad when you do have that knee jerk instant reaction to what somebody has said or done to you or about you he says when that flash comes when that moment comes don't let it turn into sin do not let the sun go down on your anger Don't give the devil an opportunity. So, folks, I I, I can tell you from years and years of experience, you will not always get along every moment with all the different people in the body of Christ. You will have your moments where you get mad, where you get upset. And some of it may even be justifiable. Maybe they did mistreat you. Maybe they did say something nasty to you because they were having a bad day. The advice of Paul, which comes from the Holy Spirit, is deal with that. Deal with it then. Don't let that day come to an end without resolving it in some form or fashion. Now, I'm going to give you some advice as a counselor here, a pastoral counselor. Sometimes you can't fix it in that exact moment. But You can let go of the anger if you just put it in your mental calendar. I will deal with this. I will make sure this is taken care of eventually. Um, Sometimes we need a little time and distance uh, when times of trouble come up. And I've told people before, just like sometimes with little kids... You have to go to your neutral corners. You have to go back and wait until everybody cools off and then come back and deal with the issue. But here Paul is telling us, when you do have that initial flash of anger, don't hold on to it. Don't nurse the grudge. Don't feed the flame of anger. Let it go. And then take care of it eventually. Speak the truth to those folks in love and get it taken care of. Because if you don't, you're going to give Satan a toehold. You're going to give him a place where he can get uh, something in there and pry us apart, and we do not want that. A little bit more in verse 28 on this idea of repentance. Uh, You may remember back in John the Immerser's days, he was saying, repent, 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 change the way you're thinking, change the way you're thinking. And some people came and said, well, what about us? What what should we be doing to show we're truly repentant? And so he gave some very concrete examples for different people's situations. Well, Paul is kind of doing that here, saying, you know, uh, if if you've been prone to lie, quit it. If you've been prone to steal, quit. Uh, knock it off. Verse 28, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Work, in its original form, was a gift from God, a blessing. When sin came into the world and work became Uh, exceptionally difficult because we were fighting an uphill battle and it became repetitive work became a chore and so some people would rather not work and Paul's response is look don't steal from people don't let other people do the hard work and then you just take their stuff you go out there make sure you have a job If you're capable of working, do it. Because this is what's going to happen. You will have enough for yourself, because you'll be taking care of your own needs, plus a little bit left over for where you can help people that maybe can't work right now. Something through no fault of their own has caused them to fall on hard times where they can't make ends meet. So when you work you can help. So, don't steal. Instead, help. Verse 29, and this gets into an area where we got to put a lot of emphasis because Jesus said, what comes out of your mouth is indicative of what's in your heart, what's in your core. And if what comes out of your mouth is bad, that indicates a rotten core so we've got to get that fixed. Definitely some repentance needs to happen in this area. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. And and the word here is just literally rotten. Don't let any rotten, stinking word proceed from your mouth. But only such as. A word as is good for edification, that is for building somebody up according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. That is unmerited favor, something nice. It is true that sometimes we have to critique people because they've done something incorrect. They've done something maybe even wrong or dangerous. And so we have to Fix that verbally. But we don't have to be mean and nasty about it. Uh, Paul says, effectively, if you can't say something good, then keep your mouth shut. If you can't say something that helps people out, keep the teeth closed and the tongue caged up. Uh, I'm thinking a little bit about the book of James and how we were warned that the, the tongue is this dangerous beast that has to be kept under control of God. So Paul says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that's good for edification, that'll build people up according to what they're going to need at that moment so that you can make them feel worthy, welcomed, wanted, encouraged, it'll give grace to those that are hearing, not kill them, kill their soul. Uh, Jesus talked about the idea that uh, you shouldn't be going around calling people names. Uh, You should instead only say what is helpful to the situation. Verse 30, Paul makes it plain that this can have spiritual impact for ourselves. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Remember, when we embraced Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we were immersed into his death and his resurrection, when we were born again, when we put on Christ, the Holy Spirit came and indwelt us, lived inside of us like we were God's temple. Don't make him sorry he came to live here. Make him glad that he has put up residence here. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is marking us for the future. For when Jesus comes back, we will be marked as God's person verse 31. here's the pragmatic application of, of verse 30. Let all bitterness, you know the nasty mean words and vocabulary. Let all bitterness and wrath uh, that's got to do with anger, um, fury. You know sometimes we we let ourselves be quick. To blow up at people, and we got to stop that. We can't let that happen. And then anger, um, it's it's feelings, these strong feelings of being mad. Okay, and clamor, uh, which is lots of noisiness. You know, the having a conniption fit, as some people would say, uh, having a screaming bout. Uh, We don't need that stuff in our lives as Christians. It makes the Holy Spirit uncomfortable and unhappy to be living in a body that's doing all of these sorts of things. Uh, And and none of this slander. uh, Slander is speaking false information. It's passing on false information. It's one of the reasons I tell people all the time, it's not just a matter of making sure you don't lie. Make sure you don't pass on the lies of other people. That's why, folks, if you're ever going to retweet or uh, retruth or repost anything on social media that didn't originate with you, verify the facts of it before you hit the button. Because the moment you pass that on, you're responsible. And if it's false, you just lied. If it's not true, you just promoted untruth. So you are responsible. I am responsible for any information we pass on. Don't be trying to use the excuses. Well, I thought it was true at the time. You should have checked it out. I should have checked it out. And so here is the apostle saying, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Malice is bad attitude, bad feelings. Uh, Not only do you engage in all this stuff, you do it because you want to cause harm to the other person. And malice has no place in Christianity. Uh, I'm going to repeat again some of the precepts of Jesus. He said that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. We should do unto others as we'd have them do unto us. That instead of hating our enemy, we should love our enemy. That instead of slandering or cursing our enemy, we should Bless them and pray for our enemy. And that instead of doing evil things or bad things in retaliation to our enemy, we should do good things to and for our enemy in the hopes of saving them, of causing them to come to repentance. See, that's Jesus' heart. And so malice is not in that. Verse 32, be kind to one another. I, I keep seeing this thing around town. In a world where you can be anything, be kind. Well, that's exactly what we're seeing in the text in front of us here. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. You know, Let your heart be touched by other people's situations, other people's problems. I mean, even our enemies are people that Jesus died for. And we should be grieved when we see them not in right relationship with him. That's tenderheartedness. So be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Uh, We were told in the model prayer that we should pray, forgive my sins even as I have forgiven the sins of others against me. And so we pass on that which we've received. And uh, that is an important aspect of Christianity. Verse 1 of chapter 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We want to be holy as he is holy. We want to be righteous as he is righteous. We want to be loving as he is loving. We want to be forgiving as he is forgiving and merciful as he is merciful. All the attributes of God that you can name, that's what we want to be too. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. You know, live moment by moment, step by step, in love. The love of God, which is described in 1 Corinthians 13, and, and it is a, a, a self-sacrificing love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. The sacrificial system was reinforced by all the different senses. Not only did you hear the words and see uh, the sights uh, and taste some of the sacrificial meat, but you also could smell it all. And so Jesus gave himself up in a way that would be pleasing to God. And we want to be the same thing. We want to be pleasing to God. We want to bring a smile to God's face, not a frown. Verse number 13, but immorality Uh, Immorality is a catch-all word for anything out of God's sexual design. So God's sexual design, it's very easy to find. It's there in uh, Genesis chapters uh, 2, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and that is one man together with one woman for a lifetime. And originally it was for eternity. Uh, That is the only proper context of sexuality. Outside of that is immorality. And so immorality or any impurity or greed, you know, the wanting, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So sexual immorality, it it shouldn't even be joked about as being acceptable for Christians. Uh, Impurity, that's just any type of bad behavior, misbehavior. None of that should be acceptable in the Christian community. Greed, you know, I want, I want, I want, I want. That self-centered, grab-it-all-for-me attitude. Not acceptable within the Christian community. Uh, And there's a whole bunch of other things that we don't have any time to get into today, so we'll save it for next session, that we've got to keep a check on our mouth, on our body, on our attitudes, so that we always represent Jesus Christ. We're always acting like God, God and his children.